So what are your off-ramps? The ramp that takes you off of the direction in which you're going currently. Who is responsible for it? Who made it happen? Do you thank them or not? The off-ramps. That's next in this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. Don't get old, folks. It's a myth. It is entirely a myth. It's bad. Don't let it happen. Reverse course at all cost. Oh, man. You know, my wife used to say it all the time. It's hell getting old. And I kind of shrugged it off because she has a few minutes on me. And I now totally buy into everything she's ever told me about the aging process. Welcome back to this, another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast. Matthew is my name, and I thank you for downloading yet another episode. This, I believe, the 68th episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast. The podcast that was designed, is designed, and hopefully in the future will continue to be designed, one that helps me and in turn perhaps helps all of us find little ways for us to be grateful for the things that we have. It's easy not to be grateful for what we have because if you're anything or anybody like me, you know that it's sometimes difficult to recognize things that we should be grateful for. You know, we bypass them. We sort of let them slip under the table. And I think in designing this podcast, that's what it's for, I believe, for us to find ways to show gratitude for the things in our life. It has been a relatively rainy and moist week. Not really a washout, but such that you had to gaze at the app, whatever app you use on your phone for weather information. It's like, okay, it's not going to rain between two and four. I have to finish what I'm doing here in the basement layer so that I can run upstairs and, you know, run the lawnmower. And in my attempt to run upstairs and run the lawnmower, I realized about halfway through mowing the lawn, and it was very, very thick. For some reason, Donna snuck in some fertilizer on the yard back in the spring, and it's like a big, thick mat of hair, very similar to the top of my scalp back in the 20s. Not really like that anymore. Anyway, I got about halfway through, and the cable that runs from, you know, the central guts of the lawnmower that runs up to sort of the easy drive system that allows the mower, I guess, to sort of self-propel itself so that old folks like me don't have to push this thing. Well, that cable snapped and I got about halfway through the lawn and the rain was coming. So I thought I can't just stop. I can't really hire anybody because I don't really have the money and I need to mow the lawn. So I pushed the lawnmower and we have several little undulating hills on our property and I'll tell you this, I was completely wasted by the time the lawn mowing escapade happened. It was unbelievable how difficult it was. And so I immediately, before the rains hit and they were sprinkling, I immediately got Donna to help me hoist the lawnmower into the back of the car. And I took it back up to the same guy who, oh, a couple of months ago, lambasted me for not doing quote unquote mower maintenance. Okay. And he was very nice this time. And he said, yeah, you know, these things snap and I'll find the part and repair it and all that. So 
I actually paid my neighbor to use his lawnmower basically because my neighbor really doesn't do anything for free. And I know he doesn't listen to this podcast, so I feel like I can say this. Uh, anything you ask him to do, you pretty much have to figure that there's going to be some kind of, you know, imaginary invoice involved and you're going to have to pay. So I used my gas, filled up his mower, mowed the lawn this week, put more gas in, and then, you know, bought him a six pack of cheap beer in order to feel like I had satisfied the requirements of the invoice that he was invariably going to send me. So, ah, what a week. If you're cruising down the highway, you know, invariably you're going to have to turn off. Now, sometimes we make these decisions to turn off ourselves. And in rare instances, sometimes we are forced to find the nearest off-ramp, right? To get out of something, whether it's a traffic jam, a traffic delay, a weather situation, or we realize maybe that we had taken the wrong route and we needed to all of a sudden get off and turn around. But I liken the off-ramp really to the people in our lives who all of a sudden help us to change direction or they give us some insight that allows us to veer off course. And sometimes the veering off course can be planned and that can ultimately be a good thing. And sometimes veering off course can sometimes be not really in our plans at all. And sometimes that veering off course may in fact not be the greatest thing in the world. But in thinking about different ways, to be grateful for the people in my life who have helped me to find an off-ramp at various times in my life, I wanted to just briefly mention a couple of these folks and to say how much I appreciate the fact and am grateful for the fact that they emerged in my life at that particular time. And I would say the first person who really got me off the road that I was on. Not that it was a particularly bad road, not that it was a road that was particularly marked by terror or unsavory things, but it was definitely a change of direction for me. And that would be Father Richard Morrow, who at the time was the associate pastor at my home parish. Now, Father Morrow was a different kind of priest. He, on one hand, was kind of quiet, and he was kind of a little bit irreverent. And on the other hand, he knew sort of how to interact with young people. And for whatever reason, my friend David and I became friends with Father Morrow, and he was the first priest to actually invite us into his world. And his world really was really quite small. I mean, he did all the things that parish priests do at churches, and he also kind of shared maybe his off day. First of all, I didn't even know a priest had an off day, but they did. And so a lot of times on Thursday, that would be his off day, and he would call us up. And this was way before text messaging and all that. So it was very you know uh, easy to get a phone call at home. And there would be Father Morrow, and he would say, well, what are you guys doing? And I would reel off, oh, you know, the regular things that, you know, high school kids kind of do. 
And he said, you want to go play racquetball? Well, I never played racquetball. And so he said, yeah, I'm going to get uh, a friend of mine to come and we'll make it a foursome and we'll just do racquetball between the four of us. And I said, okay, great. So this is the first time that I had met his friend, also a priest across town, and his name is Father Jim Corda. And so I became friends with Father Morrow and Father Corda, and we would hang out. And a lot of times when my friend David wasn't available, Father Morrow and I would be in his room and we would order pizza and we would watch movies or we would go to the movies or we would just go out and have a piece of pie and a cup of coffee or just spending time together. And it was during that time that I began to give some thought to going to the seminary myself. And I can honestly say that this off-ramp provided me the wherewithal to sit back and analyze my life in the scope of would it be possible for me to be a Roman Catholic priest? I mean, that really had never entered into my thinking at all. And while I never, of course, went on to be a Catholic priest, I can give the credit to Father Morrow for being the person who would give me time to talk about why this would even hold any interest to me and giving me the time to share the kinds of things that he did throughout his day and why he felt it important to be a priest, a modern priest in a contemporary church and why he felt it necessary to go the route of being a priest himself, even knowing this as a young child. And so I think through those interactions and really that friendship, and while I learned later that we would not agree on everything, I would say that that first off-ramp in my life, making the decision to go home and think about that summer, that summer of, of 1979, would it be possible for me to be a priest and making the decision to eventually go on to seminary to study and receive a degree from a Roman Catholic seminary? So I give credit to Father Morrow. And Father Morrow, although disappointed that I did not go back to graduate seminary studies, after receiving my bachelor's degree, I think he understood where I was in my life at that time, and he had since moved on to another parish. So that first off-ramp for me, I give total credit to Father Richard Morrow. In the short amount of time during those years when I wasn't thinking about being a Roman Catholic priest, I was thinking about being behind a microphone at a radio station. And I have been, as I mentioned before on other episodes of this podcast, that I pretty much knew early on what I wanted to do with my life. And I figured that the radio guy, the person who wanted to be a radio star, wanted to do a live show, I wanted to do a show either with himself or with somebody else as a team and eventually traverse the ranks of radio markets and eventually get to a large market where you could be, you know, the afternoon drive person on a radio station or the morning show 
person or team on a radio station. And it really wasn't until I realized that I had a knack for creating commercials. And I liked creating commercials. In fact, I began, after about 10 years of being in this industry, I began to really gravitate towards being behind the scenes. And while I liked being on the air, I really much more relished the opportunity to be huddled inside a studio, trying to craft a script of a commercial, trying to voice it, putting effects and music underneath it, giving it a life of its own. Or, as some of my peers would like to say, creating, quote-unquote, theater of the mind. And I enjoyed this. I liked it. And I felt like I was pretty good at it. And this was the advent of multi-track production. A production that, yes, it did involve razor blades and cutting tape. And I certainly came from that bent. But multi-track production, where things were done more on a digital basis, was really coming into its own. So while I had some experience and can lay claim to having experience working with cutting tape, multi-track production was just beginning to come into its own. And this excited me. And I realized that perhaps I wanted to create these spots for a full-time living. And I was sort of jostling back and forth. I had just come from Washington, D.C., and I had been on the air, and I was kind of pondering my next move. And for a short time, I went to work at a news talk station in Columbus, Ohio. And at WTVN, I was expected to write and craft commercials. And it was a very challenging time because Don and I were living in Akron. And I was working at the station in Columbus. And so four days a week, I would get up at 4.30 in the morning. And by 6, I would be on the road. And hopefully, I would be through Columbus rush hour traffic. So by 7.45 or 8 o'clock, I was at the radio station already working. And then I would work till, say, 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon. And then I would jump in the car and I would attempt to try to beat Columbus rush hour traffic so that I could get home. And many days, I would get home at 7 o'clock at night, eat, rest for a few hours, and get up and do the same thing. So it was a sort of long, arduous journey. And I wondered how long I could keep up pace. And it was during that time that I met, I think, one of the most influential radio people ever to steer me off the highway, ever to bring me to another exit ramp so that I could sort of change the direction as to where I was headed. And that would be Daryl Parks. And Daryl Parks was sort of a terrorist in a way. And I use that term very loosely, but he was the kind of guy who really um, proceeded to not be intimidated by anybody. Daryl Parks would say anything to anybody. He would craft any kind of promotion to promote the radio station. He would be on panels discussing the history of radio and the current state of radio and made no bones about it that he really disliked his contemporaries and was really in it for the competitive nature of the business. And really, if he could find a way to shave off a couple of Arbitron ratings points from somebody else, his nearest competitor, and shine the light on WTVN, he would do it. And he was just kind of a loud, boisterous, but very intelligent person. And he would say to me, you know, you are good at these commercials, but 
What I'm really looking for is someone to craft promos that really promote our shows. And here, here's a cassette tape. I want you to listen to this. This is a compilation of various things that other people within the company are doing at some of the radio stations that we own around the country. And during your 19 million hour drive home, I want you to listen to this and see if this holds any interest for you. And so I got in the car that night, beating rush hour traffic out of Columbus, heading north on I-71, and I popped this J-Core tape into my cassette deck. Yes, I drove a car with a cassette deck, and it changed my world. I had never heard anything like this before. These promos promoting Paul Harvey, Dr. Laura, all of the regular players in talk radio and the various local players in talk radio. They sounded like promos for rock stations. They had heavy metal music underneath Paul Harvey. They had multiple textures of of music and sound effects and deep, grovelly-voiced, irreverent voice artists. And I couldn't get enough of it. I played it over and over. I must have went through the tape three times before I got home. And I popped the cassette in on the way down the next morning to listen to it some more. And I remember running into his office, knocking on the door, holding that tape, saying, yes, I want a part of this. And he said, I knew it. I just, I saw it in you and I knew you were going to be a part of this. That's the way I want our radio station to sound like. And I want you to design it. And it completely changed my whole world at that time. It completely changed how I motivated myself to work each and every day. It changed the way I wrote. It changed the way I constructed the way I wanted to present my work. It changed how I felt about spoken word formats. And I credit Daryl Parks for that. This loud, boisterous, tell it like it is, give a guy a chance. He would, he would find any way to get an advantage over somebody else. And Daryl Parks had no golden calves. He put nobody on a pedestal. Everybody was open to constructive criticism. Everybody was worthy of being dissected and analyzed. And he did it all with a style that you either loved or you hated, and I loved it. And so, even into this day, some of the ways that I approach certain facets of my work, whether it's copy or writing that deals with client-based advertising, or whether it's designed around promotions and imaging, I still like to use and still appreciate the techniques that Daryl Parks instilled in me, that he allowed me to investigate, that he allowed me to make mistakes on, and then he allowed me to utilize if it was airworthy. And so for that off-ramp, I am extremely grateful and very appreciative of the one and only, the great Daryl Parks. Lastly, I'll say that my off-ramp that I wanted to show appreciation for and gratitude for today is the person who was actually my first girlfriend ever. The first person who actually took me seriously. The first person who was actually attracted to me 
outside of a one-night stand. The first person who believed in me. And that's my current wife, Donna. She would be responsible for taking me in another direction by putting me on an off-ramp to another world. And really, of all the things that I could be appreciative of and grateful to for her, I would say that her ability to allow me to be who I am and love me for it. And this was something that had never occurred in my life. I really never had a steady person. I really had been comprised of a mishmash of various relationships that involved things that just either weren't ready to mature, they weren't ready to materialize into something major, they were sort of at the mercy of where I was in terms of career, where I figured myself to be geographically, and it just wasn't something that was a regular part of my life. I would say that she is the off-ramp that is probably the most influential, and for that, I'm very appreciative. She gave me something to live for. When I was at some fairly decrepit crossroads in my life, and she came along at the right time, she rescued me from that highway of chaos and showed me an off-ramp that allowed me to, as much as I can, or at least up until this point, allowed me to fulfill where I needed to be and to match rate into what I needed to be at that time. And so for that and for her, I'm very grateful that that off-ramp actually happened because it almost seemed otherworldly that I would have any kind of solidified, formal, consistent relationship with anyone. So who are your off-ramps? Who are the people that you can pinpoint right now, right off the bat, who were responsible for taking you in another direction or moving you off the current course and substituting that current course for something new, something you need, something that you maybe thought you didn't need, but you really did, something that maybe on the flip side was something that derailed you and you needed to dig out of a hole. Who were those people? Who was that person? While you're thinking about that and hopefully finding ways to be grateful for it, I wanted to remind you and point you in the direction of a couple of websites. First of all, Donna's website is up. I think I mentioned it in the last podcast. It has been my goal to foment an art website that could showcase some of her work. And it's a work in progress because we're still in the process of getting things together, tabulating them, getting them ready, and putting them up on the site. But there's plenty to view and there's plenty to buy. Uh, it's DonnaCreative, 
www.donnacreative.com. That's www.donnacreative, all one word, .com. You can look through some of her different realism type uh, pieces of work, a very, very large uh, contingent of abstract paintings, and something that she's always been not only just very proud of, but also uh, very adept at is in the art of Zentangle. And so there's lots to look at. There's lots to add to your collection, DonnaCreative.com. And the other thing, of course, is a new website that is really a recapitulation of an old website. And that is the crew that I work with here in Akron at the summit and the summit.com. I'm sorry, the summit.fm. And that is Recovery Talks, the show Recovery Talks. And it is a show that is connected to the recovery community. I'm not in alcohol or drug abuse recovery, but as the host, Mark Lee Shannon, likes to say, we all at some level might be in some form of recovery from something. And so I believe that the podcast, Recovery Talks, the podcast, and this website that showcases the podcast and gives additional information is one that can be a benefit to a lot of people, including myself. And that is recoverytalks.org. All one word, recoverytalks.org. Check it out and give that podcast a listen. Mark does an exceptional job at trying to find the lighthouse keepers, the people who are doing the job every day, every minute of finding ways to reinvent their lives in recovery, in long term recovery and to be better than they were when they were using. And so it is an opportunity for you to check in on that world and hopefully to show gratitude for the people that are really making a difference, both the people in recovery and the people who are working in the recovery movement, recoverytalks.org. Until then... Yours truly is uh, heading uh, down to uh, Kentucky to uh, visit some old pals from a seminary world. And really, when I talk about Ron and Gary, it makes it seem like that would be the only connection. And that's one connection. That's the initial connection. But our connection goes far deeper than that. It's far greater than that. And it's really eclipsed uh, anything really that we had experienced as Roman Catholic seminary students. And so yours truly is on the road and will be a short trip, but it's a much needed trip and it's always a good trip. And until then, I hope that you not only find different ways to categorize the off-ramp folks in your life, but to show gratitude for them. And here's hoping on my journey that I don't have to take too many off-ramps that are unplanned and that it extends (laughs) an already five and a half hour trip. So uh, I thank you for downloading and listening to this, another episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast.